Okay. So uh, you can grow uh, in size of the work you do, but it doesn't necessarily mean the complexity of what you do changes. Mm. So let's say you're making car parks. Yeah. Okay. So I make a car park which is 100 square meters. Okay, and I become very good at making car parks of 100 square meters. Now I get given a car park of 1 million square meters. But the chances are I can do it, right? Yeah. Because it's the same work. It's just multiplication. Yeah, right? it's the same work. But if you look at mm, uh, oil and gas and petrochemical projects, it's not the same. Yeah, yeah that's right. You know, so because what's happening is that the, the level of complexity, the number of moving parts that you have to then manage increases um, dramatically. Yeah. And uh, it's different things that you might not have done before. Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.firl.co slash f-r-e-e or www.firl.co slash free. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Fire Podcast, a best place for long-term stock investors. And today we have a special, right, mm-hmm. MJ? Of course. Yeah. All guests are special, but definitely this one is 100% certified special. Right? Special, right? Uh, the feeling I got when I was preparing today, MJ, was, uh, you know, when Sir Alex Ferguson was being uh, interviewed uh, by, what's that guy's name? The the defender? Was Gary Neville, I think. Uh, Gary Neville, yeah. And, you know, the, so, so, I have Sir Alex Ferguson yeah. and I'm probably Gary Neville today <laughs> in yeah. the team. Um, today we have um, Kames, Kamesam Shankar, um, a very, very experienced oil and gas executive. And I'm going to try to tap from him his vast experience of being a client, uh, being a contractor, and then being a client again in the oil and gas industry. Uh, probably some key takeaway for the audience is Understanding the field development plan of a, uh, of an oil and gas field, understanding uh, how EPCC contractors work, and probably some of the key uh, how to read in between the lines of uh, business strategies, and even you know big cases I would say cases of oil and gas companies not revealing everything today. Yeah, I guess if, if if you're listening to this, uh, if you ever wanted to know some of the intricacies right of the oil and gas industry, which is at the heart of a big part of Malaysia, but also one that is very uh, hidden in terms of the inner workings, right? A lot of people, not because they're trying to hide anything or maybe they are, I'm not sure, but, <laughs> uh, but it, it, it just by nature, it's many moving parts, very complicated, highly technical. And so I think we've got the perfect person today to Precisely. open this treasure box, right? Yes, Kamesan, thank you for coming to the show. Yeah, welcome. Yes. So um, for context, uh, why, why Gary Neville, so Alex Ferguson, Kamesan used to be my boss's boss. <laughs> <laughs> was, and it's not every day that someone gets to interview the boss, yep. <laughs> right? So, uh, Kamesan, maybe take us through what was uh, life at 15 years old, you know, and um, growing, where do you grew up and then uh, what inspired you? Did you have any role models like back then? 
You know, after that introduction, I feel a bit shy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Alex Ferguson, really. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more shocked about the Gary Neville comparisons, actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not the guy you want to compare yeah. yourself yeah. to. Yeah. Really? Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, so I went to school in KL in St. John's. Mm. Uh, and at about 14, I went to boarding school in the UK. Ah, okay. Um so you asked me, okay, role models. I think probably my role model, biggest role model is my father. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and still today. Okay. Still today. Uh, was he a civil servant? Was he a, a, a in, in business? Or was my he? father was a, um, a lawyer. Okay. And a very prominent lawyer. Okay. And then became a judge. I see. Uh, he ended up in the hot, uh, Court of Appeal. Ah, is he still serving? No, no, no. He's, okay. uh, he retired uh, many years ago. I see. I see. Uh, I see. But he's still... Um, Keeps himself very busy. Understand, understand. Um, yeah, so. But you didn't end up doing law. You went to UMIS to do engineering. So yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I know. That is what is called being stubborn. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Right. But okay, to be fair, yeah. my my grandfather, my maternal grandfather was an engineer. I see. But I, see. Uh, I think, to be honest, at the time, uh, everybody expected me to become a lawyer. Ah, so I think out of pure bloody mindedness, I said, no, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to. I think I'm going to go and become an engineer yeah, instead. Okay. But what, what sparked you to do engineering actually? Chemical engineering to be specific. To be really honest. Okay, yeah. so so at the end of uh, A-levels, okay. I had no idea what I wanted to do ah. at all. So I chose something uh, which would allow me basically to continue with like doing physics, chemistry, and math. Because that was the stuff that I was good at. I see. Uh, in retrospect, especially considering what I'm doing today, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. probably being a lawyer wouldn't have been a bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> More fees, but, right? But I don't regret being an engineer either. Mm. Um, chemical engineering, yeah, it just, just seemed to be a logical continuation of, of what I was doing in school. I see. I don't think I was a very good chemical engineer, to okay. be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, were you on a scholarship back then? or was Yeah, yeah. it was called the FM scholarship. Uh, Father-mother scholarship. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> very prominent scholarship. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So um, you came back to Malaysia and you ended up in the national uh, company. Take us through that. That what, what, what was the insightful things that you managed to get from that experience, actually? It was... Uh, a very, very good experience. Okay. So uh, when I came back from uni uh, and I joined Petronas, um, at that time, the gas industry in Malaysia was just starting. I see. You know, um, so uh, at that time, most of the gas, especially off peninsular Malaysia, was just fled, just burnt mm. offshore. So this PGU project was conceived okay. to collect the gas and bring it onshore and then treat the gas onshore and then distribute it throughout peninsular Malaysia. Okay. So it was all very new and very fresh. Uh, this is the 1980s? Or, uh, uh, this was 1980. I joined Petronas in December 82. In 1982? So, yeah. so almost 40 years. Okay. Yeah. Okay, 40 years. Yeah, Pe so people have been... Born in I <laughs> I was born nineteen seventy nine. So yeah, you were so not even were a twinkle when you were three. <laughs> not even a twinkle in your dad's eye. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, eighty two. No, you were already a twinkle. Twinkle, you're, you're twinkled yeah. already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, but from there you moved on, ironically, to a contractor, and you know you did you did a lot of the gas work. You were leading projects. Um, 
you were dealing, I'm pretty sure you were dealing with a lot of contractors. And then you move, correct me if I'm wrong, you went to a contractor after that, which was Technip, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, what uh, actually prompted you to make that switch, actually? Honestly speaking, I think it was, I felt in Petronas that I had learned as much as I was going to learn. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, one has to, to thank the company for the learning experience because given that everything was so new, yeah. even as a very fresh engineer, you were given a lot of opportunity. Mm. You know, so we got sent off to Japan for the ah. uh, uh, engineering of the first GPP. Okay. And I had... Precisely three months experience. You know, okay. it's, it's unheard of actually. Okay. That in a in other organization, <laughs> mm -hmm. when you are an engineer like that, you sit in the office and you they, they throw you some manuals. Uh, and yeah, and exactly, <laughs> yeah. you do that for a year or two before yeah. they, before. Oh, sorry, should have switched yeah. this off. No worries. <laughs> um, oh, so JGC three? Uh, no, uh, uh, yeah, Japan. Yeah, yeah, Japan. Yeah. So you know, after three months, you get to go to Japan, spend a year or so in Japan, traveling up and down Japan, looking mm -hmm. at things. Uh, um, receiving the education that you would normally never get in university. Correct, correct. Uh, and uh, then coming back, working on the construction of the first GPP. Mm -hmm. So it was a, it's a real um, hands-on introduction on how to do a project, how things work in a project, mm. you know, all of that stuff. But after, I suppose I was seven years in Petronas, mm -hmm. The, it became fairly clear that the, um, the upwards trajectory, trajectory. <laughs> had kind of flattened okay. uh, for whatever reason. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, and uh, I was uh, offered something by Technip. Okay. And uh, it was more money than I was getting and it seemed to be more fun than what I was doing. <laughs> so I did it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe so for some context of the audience uh, who are not from the oil and gas industry, who is Technip? Okay. Yeah. Technip is um, a large uh, contractor. Uh -huh. It does work. Uh, it's a French company mm -hmm. uh, initially. They set up an office in Malaysia. Okay. Uh, initially to work on offshore projects. Mm -hmm. They then started doing petrochemical and, and onshore work as well. Mm -hmm. uh, when I started with the company, they had about 80 employees. Okay. When I left the company, they probably had more than 2,000 employees. Wow. And so they were all over Asia Pacific. They grew. So yeah. KL is the hub today for them. KL is the hub for them. Yeah. I see. I see. And um, so, yeah, uh, Technip, why is it so embedded in the Malaysian oil and gas scene? Maybe can, if you can give uh, some context to that. Why are they so... Why are they crucial yeah, to, why the the business, crucial to the, the business? To the value chain, yeah. actually. Well, I don't know whether technique per se is crucial to the value chain, mm. but I think what they, they bring to the value chain is the, I mean, so uh, they started up with the experience from the French uh, mothership. Okay. Uh, but then they, um, I think they grew very organically, mm. you know, so they started with small offshore projects. Uh, then they grew into bigger projects. Then okay. they started doing lump sum projects. So okay. when they started, it was not lump sum. It was all on rates. Ah, day okay. rates, okay. On day rates. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, if an engineer works X number of hours, they get paid X amount of stuff, yeah. you know, and, um, and they local hired a lot. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of development of local personnel. Uh, and then uh, gradually... Um, extended themselves into more complicated and uh, EPC lump sum work. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, <coughs> so I, I think the the. So what value do they bring? I mean, if you have two thousand employees, that mm. that brings value in itself. I think, mm. uh, but also the um, the way that they grew, um, they exposed these people to genuine, um, proper projects. Okay. You know? Not just doing small stuff offshore, but real uh, meaty projects. Correct, correct. And that's the way to develop people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had the benefit of working with Technip on probably f- three or four projects, and mm. and every time I compare Technip's engineering work comparatively to the rest, which we'll not name. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let's not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there's always a distinct difference in quality. That's my honest opinion. Yeah, so I think distinct difference in quality meaning it's better. And the reason why I I say that is because every time a report or a, a drawing or a design comes out from Technip, it's quite well thought through. That was my, you know, my very good experience, you know, dealing with Technip at that point. And I think what you just said kind of like uh, highlights the reason why they probably, the, the exposure that they get, probably the training and probably... Um, how the organization has grown organically. So maybe from there, let's segue into something that you moved into something completely. So at Technip, you, you grew up the ranks and you, you started to manage projects. From there, probably, can you tell us what were the most difficult clients that you had to deal with in Technip? And what were the challenges of an EPCC contractor when you were managing projects? What the biggest risk that you you guys were taking on. Yeah, so I mean, I, I started in uh, Technip as a process engineer, mm. and then I think after a few years, I told you I was not a good chemical engineer. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. so after a few years, yeah, I think the the bosses looked at me and said, "Okay, this guy ain't so hot." <laughs> so <laughs> so maybe let's try him in project engineering. Okay, okay, and uh, actually. Uh, I mean, That's where you flourished, right? Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't know if I'm the best project engineer, but <laughs> okay, la, You know, uh, okay, okay. it was, it was um, good enough. Okay. Um, so you, your, your question, sorry, was on was, let's the, just say the most said, difficult clients. Yeah, so. the, because when you were in projects, uh, clients maybe to for the audience benefit, clients would give you either a contract for a mandate rate or a lump sum, and let's just say as you mentioned, it's not a lump sum contract. And clients would want to do, oh, uh, can you do this study for me? Can you do this study for me? And your role is like, how do you balance getting a technically sound or engineered project against your time and man hour costs? Mm. So I'm pretty sure some clients were like, they'll bargain hard with you and says, hey, you know, do this, this, this is for free. It's supposed to be. And you would have to argue back and say, no, what we've done is sufficient, you know, probably come from that perspective. Okay. Yeah. So we differentiate first of all between uh, uh, rates, project done on rates, mm-hmm. and a lump sum project. Mm, okay, correct. so what does it mean? So a project done on rates, in its uh, in its most at its most basic level, is um, I come to you, I say I want some work done, okay, and you give me uh, a slate of charges, okay, and say that well, fine. So this work requires, uh, I don't know, a civil engineer, electrical engineer, whatever engineer. Uh, and for every hour that they work on your job, mm-hmm. um, I will charge you X amount of money. Correct. Okay, so that's a, uh, um, a project done on rates. Now, okay. it's very rare in the oil and gas business that you get pure rates. So normally, there will always be some cap. Ah. So the client will say, that's fine. 
so how many hours do you think it's going to be? And I'd say, well, okay, 1,000 hours or 3,000 hours. Okay. And uh, up to 3,000 hours, that's okay. You okay. spend. Now, if you overrun the 3,000 hours, then the question is, well, whose fault is it? Ah. Right? And who should pay for it? Okay. Yeah. And typically, the contracts will have some sort of mechanism. I see. On uh, how you manage these overruns. Okay. So it might be that after a certain threshold, you don't get paid any profit. Ah. Uh, it might be that after a certain threshold, you don't get paid anything. I see. Uh, and then you have to talk about why and how much more and stuff like that. I see. However, at the I mean, at the end of the day, that type of contract is inherently um, pretty much risk-free, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, let, let's take the 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 model where when you reach your threshold, then you you get paid uh, at cost. Okay. okay. You don't lose money. You don't, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't lose money, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, up to X hours, you got paid money. Okay. After that, you're still working. Okay. So maybe what you're losing is the opportunity cost of making money mm. on uh, on another project where you could get a, pro a profit. Okay. Yeah. But uh, it's a very low risk endeavor. Okay. Uh, and there are still many companies today uh, in Malaysia, especially offshore, okay. which is deemed a bit more risky. Yes. Uh, that are quite happy to work on that model. Mm -hmm. But why would you not want to work on that model? Because mm. it's deemed less risky. Your profit margin is much less. Ah. Right? So, so typically, I don't know, you can say, well, I will take, here's my cost. So that, that the way that this will work is you declare your cost. You yep. say, yeah, this year, look, mm -hmm. here's what I pay this guy. Mm -hmm. This is how much his EPF is, blah, 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 blah. Right? And now on top of that, I'll take 2%. Oh, or okay. 3% or so. 4% or something okay. like that. Yeah. And that's it. And that's fair, right? Mm. Because no risk. Yeah. The, the, the client is absorbing the risk. Correct. The flip side is the lump, lump sum. So you have a different flavors of lump sum project. Okay. okay. So uh, we talked about EPC, right? Yes. yes. So what is EPC? EPC is engineering, procurement, construction. Yes. Um, if you're doing an offshore project, you might have installation. Yes. In that case, it becomes EPIC. Correct. Yeah. The profit margin, potential profit margin in an EPC project is much higher, mm. right? Potentially, right? <laughs> but mm. the risks are much higher too. Correct. Because in an EPC project, you're basically saying to the client, "Okay, um, you want to build a gas plant or yeah. oil platform or whatever it is. Correct. It's going to cost you X number of dollars. Yep. And then I am totally responsible." Mm -hmm for delivering that project within that X number of dollars. That's right. If it's less than that X number of dollars, I profit. Yeah. If it's more than that X number of dollars, You tough. have to bear the cost. You have to swallow it. Yeah. Right? And the swallowing can be quite a big swallow. <laughs> right? Because you're, you're talking about fairly large projects. That's right. Yeah. So, um, your question was risk management. Was how, how, how does it... So, so the risk... Obviously, the risk-free model. So I'm talking from the contractor's perspective now, which is technique. Mm. For the uh, man-hour rates um, mechanism, it's quite clear that the risk is ironically less for uh, EPC contractor like technique. But when you move over to the flip side, the lump sum contracts, right? Mm. How do you guys, in a way, when, when you were in technique, how do you manage that risk? Because obviously, you engineer it, you procure the equipment, and then you you build it, right? And it doesn't work together. So is it through experience? Is it through buying um, um, uh, trusted vendors that, you know, you, or you park in enough margins 
that if there is a mistake in your engineering or your procurement, that you can actually cover back the cost. So all, all of the above, in fact. Yeah. So so the key is when you're doing a lump sum project, and whether it's a lump sum project to build a building or whether it's a lump sum project to build a an oil refinery or whatever it is, uh-huh. you have to be able to estimate first. Okay. Right? Because you're coming up with uh, with a cost. Yes. Right? And then you're having to live by that cost. Yes. So how do you build up that cost? Mm-hmm. So uh, if you are doing EPC, mm-hmm. you then have to be able to estimate how much is the engineering going to be? Mm-hmm. How long is it going to take me? Mm-hmm. Uh, how much is it going to cost me to buy the stuff? Mm-hmm. And how much is it going to cost me to construct? Okay. Okay. So the bigger contractors all have a database. Ah. Okay. And they all have uh, uh, historical data, um, which tells them to some level of accuracy, um, if I'm doing this kind of project, how many man hours do I need? Mm. How much are my man hours? I can calculate the cost of that. Yeah. Um, typically, the client, when you're doing a project, will give you some sort of uh, basic uh, design. Or, right? a, yeah, a BFD. Lah. Yeah. So he, he will basically say, well, here's something like what I want. These are the specifications of what I want. And you can use that and go to the market and then you go to your trusted vendors, mm. right? And say, oh, well, uh, Mr. I don't know, Siemens. No. Um, I want to buy a compressor and the compressor is going to be this kind of size. And he'll come back and say, well, yeah, okay, it's going to cost you this much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then similarly for construction, you have your, uh, your data set, which says, uh, I know that uh, for this volume of concrete, mm-hmm. uh, I need... This number of people, this amount of money, and so on and so this forth. This number of man hours. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can construct something. So that gives you your basic uh, estimation. Mm. On top of that, then, you have to think about what the other risks could be. Okay. So you're a lump sum contractor, and the problem with being a lump sum contractor, a turnkey lump sum contractor, is you have to make it work. Mm. And uh, coming back to what the law says on this generally ah, is okay. that when you go into a lump sum contract, all the nitty gritty that goes into the contract is on you, not on the client. <laughs> okay. So, so you are responsible for delivering a functioning product mm. according to the specification. Yeah. So you then have to think about, well, what's the technical risk? Do I know this process? Mm. Right. Do I know that, uh, you know, whatever the, the basic design is, when I actually put it together, will it produce uh, whatever amount of whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if that's, uh, if you have some doubt there, then you've got to think, well, okay, if it doesn't work, what do I need to do? Mm. Do I need to make this bigger? Do I need to move, you know, make this pump bigger, this vessel bigger, um, whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And you've got to build that into your cost. That's risk money. Correct, correct. Then you have to look at the market. So if you look at uh, uh, what your procurement cost is going to be, mm. I mean, when you go out to your vendor yeah. and say, uh, John, I want to buy a pump. And John, you'll come to me and say, yeah, okay, come in. So this pump costs you um, 500,000 ringgit because okay. it's a big pump yeah. and very complicated. And it will take me a year to build. And uh, by the way, this is just a budget price. When you give me the real details of the farms and the real specs, I'll tell you what the real price is. (laughs) So now you, as the contractor now, have to make an assessment 
on what's going to happen to the market. Mm. Yeah. So you've got to think, well, this pump is made from steel mm. and will the steel price go up in the next whatever it is? Yeah. Uh, will the price of shipping this pump because I'm shipping it from Germany? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't know whether you know, but the price of shipping apparently yes, told, gone, yeah. has like yeah. tripled yeah, in exactly. the last uh, last six months or something like correct, that. Correct. So now typically shipping is maybe uh, 2% or 3% of your cost. If it triples, it's 6% of correct. your cost. Now, you can't, in a lump sum project, you can't go back to the client and say, oh, I'm very sorry, Mr. Client. You know, <laughs> the price of container shipping has gone up. Yeah. And the client will say, yeah, I'm also very sorry, but it's your bad. Right? <laughs> yeah, you put it in a contract, yeah. right? You, you know, you, you yeah. took the contract. Yeah. And so this is, um, I suppose, as a contractor, I've heard it. <laughs> yeah. And as a client, I've said it. Yeah. Is, is to say, well, you know, you, you're you a big boy. You took yeah. the contract. You know the risk. So, yeah, I, I'm very sorry. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah. Thank you very much for telling me. <laughs> right? And it's good that, that you, I want to roll back, and there were a lot of nuggets there. The first thing is you said that if you're an EPCC contractor and the size of you being uh, done big projects before gives you the confidence because you have that database built up. Mm. But anyone, because today, the, 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 my leading question is actually this. Everybody mm. wants claims, especially in Malaysia, that mm. they are an EPCC contractor. Mm. Without experience, you know, I think MJ mm. and I, we've spoken about a few of these companies. Mm. And they say, oh, I'm an EPCC. Oh, I'm also an EPCC, right? And, you know, uh, people in the industry were like, huh, are you sure you're an EPCC? So, yeah, I also asked the question. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, there was even this group that was, uh, starts with E, uh, they were doing, I think, highway construction, steel piling, and then all of a sudden, they're oil and gas EPCC. You know, I scratched my head and I'm trying to figure out where did they get. So the question probably comes from this. If you don't have a database or don't have experienced people, what would happen to their costing? Will, will, will it be, you know, um, like what you just described, you know, you don't have relationship with the pump vendors, you don't have... Uh, a database of man hours to say, oh, this kind of thing, I should park in this this margin because this will likely not work because of our previous experience. Okay. So if the new entrants, when they come in, are they at a huge disadvantage in terms of costing, uh, in a way? New players, compared to guys like Technip or Renhill or, you know, uh, Mustang Engineering? Well, short answer is yes, of course. Okay. Yeah. Long answer, where do you think they will likely, you know, where, where will be their likely cost increase or cost disadvantage, actually? You know, we come back to your question about um, history and, mm. and whatever. You can buy that too, right? You oh, can, you can buy. Ben, well, buy men out, men pe you buy people, right? Yeah, yes. So you go, you go onto the market and you, you go in and uh, hire um, experienced people. Correct. And then you bring them on board. Mm. But the, the problem really, um, I think, for an EPC contractor is that um, you have to be integrated. Mm. So... Um, in the sense that the, each of the bits has to work with each other, the communication with your engineering and your procurement and your construction, those lines of communication have to be very clear. Mm -hmm. The understanding of each um, component in the value chain, of the role of the previous component, the next component, their role mm -hmm. uh, also has to be uh, um, clear. Okay, And when you... So I talked about technique and I think uh, I attribute a lot of their success to organic growth. Mm. But there are many companies that have grown inorganically they in buy the parts, sense that right. they buy uh, that they yeah, they buy the bits. 
right? And then uh, I'm not going to mention any names <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, um, when you do that, then I think, uh, first of all, you take on a risk that um, the left hand, not to say doesn't know quite, doesn't know what the right hand is. You know what the right hand is doing, but you don't quite know when it's going to do it <laughs> and how exactly it's going to do it. And that makes a difference. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I think it's that gelling that, part. That yeah. You're one is the gelling and two is the, the lack of uh, competency and um, um, yeah, probably competency is the right word at the management level. Mm. Because now you have bought the bits. Okay? Yes. And let, let's just say whether, whether you bought the bit by buying a company uh -huh. or you bought the bit by, by importing uh, expertise into your company. Yeah. But somebody now needs to look at all of this. Correct. And somebody needs to make it all work. Correct. Right? Together. Correct. Now, if you don't have that competency, it doesn't mean it won't work, mm -hmm. right? So, so tomorrow, let's say that uh, if you decided to go out and build a, a multi-story building, yeah, I'm sure at the end you'll build it, right? <laughs> yeah. Correct. Yeah, it might, but the problem is it might take you a lot longer to build it. That's right. And it might cost you a lot more to build it. Yeah. 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 And that's exactly where I think the problem lies mm. with a lot of the smaller um, EPC players, in in Malaysia, yeah. I mean, let's talk about Malaysia. Yeah, and the wannabe bigger players as well. Yeah, yeah. That um, you might have the individual parts uh, that you think will perform well, but you don't have the cohesiveness across the structure, and you don't have the management visibility to look and say, "Hey, look, that's not working too well with that. I need to go in and mm. fix that." Yeah. Okay. Okay. That, that's so what happens then? All right. So of course two things happen, yeah. right? First of all, uh, or maybe three things happen, actually. Yeah. So first of all, you will overrun your cost. Yeah. So you made uh, an estimate on cost, predicated on certain things, working in a certain way. Yeah. And now they don't because your engineering, whatever, they changed the design, they didn't tell the procurement guy or, or the procurement bought something, it was a little bit different from what was originally specified. Mm. The construction people don't know about it. Mm. Um, you know, some shit happened somewhere. Yeah. Something that was supposed to arrive in January is now only arriving whenever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or your engineering is late because your client now, as you said, the client comes in and says, well, you know, yes, I asked for a, a widget, but now I want a budget, you know, or whatever <laughs> it is, right? And you don't have the the competence in your team mm -hmm. to say, oh, yeah, but, you know, if you make that change, so it comes down also a lot to change. So mm. all of these are changes, actually. Correct, right? correct. They're, they're either environmental changes or they're changes within your grasp, but the system didn't work or whatever it is, and the change management falls down, mm. right? So, so you then end up, especially if you're an EPC contractor, yeah. where you've taken something for a specific time, which you're going to deliver for a specific amount of money, and you're not going to do it, mm. right? So what will happen? You will overrun. Mm. Now, what happens when you overrun? 99.99% of the time, you not only overrun the time, you overrun the cost. Yes. Right? Yes. Because even if everything else was equal, right? Yeah. Even if you continue to spend the same amount for your... Your, your bits and pieces and you, you paid the same amount for your construction, you're just spending more hours. Mm. And every hour you spend is more money for you. That's right. 
uh, more money because your home office expenses are all there. Correct. Your management expenses are there. Okay. Your engineering was supposed to finish in June. It's now finishing in uh, you know October. So you need to pay your engineers from June to October. You still have to pay them. Yeah, yeah. The client's not going to pay you. Correct. Exactly. Yeah? Exactly. So so that is the risk. So that is the risk. So so then the the question is when you go to these smaller guys and i in my current line of work i, yeah. I see a lot of this okay um either where people ask me to come in and say well look we're, we're not uh, getting paid okay right or uh um they come in to say look we believe we should have a claim um but we don't know how to make it ah yeah um and then you look at it and say but you know Why didn't you say this at that time? At the contract yeah. bit, right? I mean, you know, yeah. So say when when the when the client said, "Hey, actually now I want a budget, right?" <laughs> why why didn't you write to him and say, "But your contract only calls for a budget." Yeah. So if you want this budget, it's going to take another 3 months and cost me that amount of yes, money. Yes, yes, yes. And you know, very often what they will say, "We thought if we do a good job, we will be recognized for the job." <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, you know the the road to hell is paved with good intentions, yes, right? Yes, 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 so yes. So yes. yeah, you know it's okay. You know we tried our best, and and they really do. They yeah. they really do try their best. We yeah. tried our best. We you know we wanted to make the client happy, but in the end nobody's happy. Right? <laughs> and, and that's uh, I think yeah, experience and competence. Yes, I I think it's such a wonderful point because even for MJ and myself, in our line of content creation, a lot of times people approach us and say, "Do things for free." Or if you do a good job, then we will. Yeah. Mm. And it, it, it sounds kind of similar right now, right? Yeah. I'm just curious. How do you, uh, let's say, if you are a manager right now, or you're thinking of getting into the field, and I'm hearing all these things, right? What What do you think are some of the things that, as someone who might become uh, in top management, to deal with the clients? Or what do you think are some of the skills and perhaps even things like personality and characteristics that you right. think? Someone actually needs to have because it, from from the outside, right? It, yeah. it it seems like a really tough job, and I don't think it's for most most people. It's not something I would recommend to most people to do. But suppose someone wanted being to be, a manager, being the manager, yeah. being the ones to look at the contracts and learning when to say no, learning when to say okay, fine, we can do this. I think um, look, yes, it's a tough job. Hundred percent. Yes, it's a tough job, but it's an extremely rewarding job, mm -hmm. and it's an extremely fun job mm -hmm. if that's what you like to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so what what skills do you need? You need to be able to. Uh, you need to be empathic. Mm. You need to uh, have good communication skills. Mm. You need to have good relationship skills. You need to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you need to have. Uh, of course, I mean, just these are the soft skills. Right? Yeah. You need to have uh, certain technical skills too, so you know you need to know what's in your contract. Correct. Because when you are a project manager in a in an oil and gas company, usually you you get given the job, so the the job is negotiated. You're not you're not participating in the in the creation mm. of the job. Mm. You're just given the job and said, "Well, get on with it." Mm. So. Um, You have to live with what is being given to you. Mm, your yeah. sandbox. That's right, mm. and then you have to manage within that. So this is where you have to. Uh, when I talk about relationship building, yes, you have to have a good relationship with your client. Mm, mm. You know, because at the end of the day, it's 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 uh, it's not good enough to be uh, the hard ass, right? <laughs> and and fight with the client all the way, and then you're never gonna get another job from him again. Yeah, exactly. So, so there is 
you know, when, when I said earlier on, we wanted to do a good job for the client, you should aspire to do a good job for yes, the client. Yes. Right? But not to the detriment of your own company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the, you have to find that balance. That balance. If you do it, then uh, then it's really good. Because then, like I said, like, you know, the EPC, whole point of doing EPC projects is that you can make money. Mm. Right? And so you become a, a, a value creator mm. for your company and you get recognized as mm. that. Mm -hmm. You know, so good project managers and good project directors get paid accordingly because mm. people know that it's a hard job. Mm. Yeah? yeah. Um, you got to relate with your team because you got to know what's going on. But then you also in your company, and here again is where a lot of the smaller EPC companies fall down, you need systems in place. Mm. Particularly, you need systems on uh, tracking and reporting. Ah. So you as um, Mr. Senior General Manager or you know, in a small company, the senior general manager is normally the owner of the company. Like correct, the correct. Line, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you are everything and then you have the guys. Right? Yeah, you have the you guys. Know, it's, not, right. it's not a very perimetrical structure. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you have to be able to look at something to say, okay, this looks like it's going fine. This looks not quite so good, yeah, um, for whatever reason. And here I need to intervene. Mm. Yeah. So... Like I said, so so a lot of these smaller companies, many of the small EPC companies have grown from something else. Mm. So they've either been an equipment supplier Correct. or a, you know, something like that, a vendor of something or the other. And they've sat there and thinking, like, why why am I uh selling this thing to uh to John and then he's gonna make all the money by taking my light yeah and uh and he's going to install it and then he's going to get so much more money all i get is the few percent i made on selling the light mm. i can do that mm. Mm. right i can do that that's not hard yeah well it is hard <laughs> yeah, yeah it is hard. Yeah. Right. but you only find out when you try doing it <laughs> yeah so because you don't have those systems in place and the, the system is a euphemism actually for corporate experience in mm. right because the system is put into place as a result of the lessons learned by that company. Correct. You say, well, we need to look at that metric. Yeah. Or we need to look at that metric. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah. This one, not so important. Mm. Because you can't be everywhere uh, at the same time. Yeah. So you need to know what your, 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 your lights are and when a light turns amber to get into there before it starts going uh, into, you know, into real trouble. Right. How 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 difficult is it difficult for Malaysian companies to implement those systems? Because I don't think so at all. Okay, I don't think so at all. I mean, uh, um, oil and gas in Malaysia, with the participation of Malaysians, mm. has been going on for forty years, John. Mm. Yeah, you know, people have got born and then had their own babies. Yeah, you know, <laughs> in, in, right? the, in the industry, yeah, right? Within 40 years. Yes, yes, okay? yes. So I, I would think by now, mm -hmm. we do have that experience mm -hmm. in the industry, across the industry. Mm. It's a question then of uh, nurturing the experience. And, um, you know, and then you learn by mistakes. Yes. So uh, um, learning from those mistakes and putting those things in place. So I, I think the experience is there. The people are there. Okay. Okay. You know, I was working on Bardeg when in uh, 19... Oh, Bardeg. Oh, my God. 1989, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That's 30 years ago. Yes, 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 yeah? yes. So, we have the <laughs> If people. I'm not mistaken, I think Simon was team leader for Bardeg, right? Yes, yes. He was, I think, uh, the project manager. Yes. And I was uh, 
project engineer oh, in technique. So, yeah. so uh, referring to Simon Ong, who is right. now uh, director, executive director at uh, Petra. Who was, mm. Yeah. Okay, um, great. I, I mean, so much nuggets. Maybe I want to move on into um, a little bit of change when you went into aviation, shell aviation. And was a lot of these systems, these processes very applicable? Was it a complete uh, change when you went to aviation? It was very weird uh, because I had zero experience in aviation. They want- <laughs> uh, and that's exactly the question I asked Shell when they told me <laughs> they wanted me to be the, the general manager for, um, what was it? Engineering and consultancy manager for aviation. Mm. The reality is actually in, in aviation, it was more the consultancy. I see. Because uh, aviation was doing two things at that time. Okay. Uh, I'm talking about the the engineering part of Shell Aviation. Okay. So Shell Aviation's business actually is to sell fuel. Ah. Okay. So it's nothing to do actually with planes. It's the selling of fuels for <laughs> fuel for planes. Okay. And in order to uh, to sell the fuel, you provide the infrastructure for the delivery of the fuel. Okay. So in other words, the tank farm, uh, the pipelines. Pipes to KLIA. Yeah. The, well, in, in, in the airport, you have pipelines going underneath. You know, you see the plane there and there's something's plugged into that. Ah. Yeah, the trucks. So all of that is the business of Shell Aviation. I see. I and see. Uh, Shell Aviation um, provided consultancy to other companies okay. who wanted to do that. And I that see. was part of my role. I see. So to provide, you know, to say, well, if somebody wants to uh, start an airport, you know, to provide the design for the, the whatever it is in the airport that they needed. Okay. Um, and at the same time to provide improvement to the processes within aviation itself. So like better trucks, let's ah, say. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. And, and that kind of thing. It was a kind of a, it was very, very enjoyable, but it was kind of a blip because it was like three years of having a lot of fun going to different airports and, <laughs> you know, seeing things like that, Yeah. you know, completely new, mm-hmm. but it's actually very simple stuff. Ah, and then, then you I'm pretty sure you felt, plateaued and then, then you came back into then you came back into EMP in a way it's kind of like full cycle uh, I, I felt plateaued yes uh. but then I was uh, actually but you know the way that work things work in Shell is that people sometimes approach you yeah yeah yes yes so uh, um, a role came up for the general manager project uh, uh, post in uh, Miri okay uh, general manager of projects okay and uh the HR person who hired me for aviation said, ah, this person would be a good fit. So uh, she recommended me. Okay. And I applied and then I went to see uh, Anwar. Okay. Oh, that and, time. Yes, uh, Anwar was. Anwar was the boss. Yeah. In Miri. Yeah. Um, and we got on very well. Mm-hmm. He was chairman of Shell, I suppose. At that time. Yeah, that time I think he was chairman of Shell, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, and then uh, I went to see my... New boss, uh, Marcus Droll. Oh, Marcus. Yes, yes, yes. Really? He was based in KL at that time, right, Marcus? He was based in KL, a very brilliant man. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we got on as well as anybody would get on with Marcus in the first meeting. Because, yes. you know, he is not a very uh, effusive person. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> German, uh, if I'm not mistaken, right? And he's a mix yeah. of uh, English and German. Okay, I think. okay. Funny thing is, the word droll in English means funny. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, and then I, I joined uh, Shell and Miri, mm. which is really actually 
what I used to do. I mean, that is my skill set. Correct, correct. Yeah. Project engineering, man. Yeah. So now you've come kind of like full cycle. You've been a client in an NOC and then a, a contractor. How does it feel? Was it like a deja vu now? You're on this side of the table and you, maybe not directly, but your subordinates have to manage contractors, manage mm. lump sum, you know? Mm. Was it a very different, you know, now with being on both sides of the table, how, how was that, you know, to you? Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I mean, you know, first of all, yeah. I mean, when you meet your ex-contractor uh, exactly. friends, exactly. the conversations are couched a little bit differently <laughs> because, you know, you know and I know and I know you know and you know I know. <laughs> you know, so it's a somewhat different conversation. It's like, it's like you've been a thief and then the contra uh, the police and then now no. back to the police. <laughs> no, I, mean, uh, I don't know which one is the thief and which one <laughs> yeah. is the police. So, but I didn't use that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was, but it, what was, it was good because from... Uh, um, the client perspective, mm. I think I could, and I, I did, uh, change the process. No, empathy is, is okay. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, it's business. Mm. And uh, um, you can change your processes to reflect your experience. Mm. So we, we kind of change the way that when we appoint contractors, how we look at their track record and things like that. Mm. Um, and we did things offshore how we paid people and you know how the rate structure was was uh was put together mm. so you know at the end of the day you want to be fair right that, that that's how uh the business that's what a contract actually is supposed to be correct it's supposed to be a fair contract so when you have sat on both sides i think you have the opportunity to equilibrate the contract a bit mm. based on your experience of both sides and i, I think that, that's what we did and, no. and, and in a way, I think the contractors will be much more appreciative because in a way it says, okay, you make your money, I make my money, uh, both sides of the parties are happy and then there's some sort of a continuity in the relationship rather than, you know, well, I do your contract, you make so much, I get the short end of the stick, I'm not going to do your contract again. In a way. There is that. Yes. I think there is that. There, yes. there, is, a, there is an understanding of uh, um, what the contractor has to go through. Yeah. Uh -huh. But then the, also the contractor understands that I understand. And, <laughs> you know, uh, so like I said, the, the, the conversation is couched perhaps um, a little bit differently. Mm. There is um, like when you're going into the contract, you already know that, you, you know, what contingency do you carry as a client? Mm, 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 mm. And when do you use that contingency? Correct, you know? correct. So, uh, I mean, for... I don't know if people know what contingency is, but okay. but typically in a contract, you would keep some money, mm. which is not allocated to anything that you could then use when you need to do it, but you stay within your overall budget. It's because like a buffer. Lah. It's like a buffer. Exactly. Yeah. Because your budget is, once your budget is set by your company, mm -hmm. you're supposed to manage within the budget. Mm. Okay. So you give yourself a little bit there okay. so that if the contractor runs into a bit of trouble um, and you feel... It's all a risk balancing game, yeah. Because actually, at the end of the day, the contractor's failure is your failure too, mm. yeah. So uh, if you wanted to build a gas plant, you want to do it for a certain reason. You want to make gas. You want to sell that gas. You want to make money. Mm. And if your 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 project is late, you are not making money, right? That's right. Now you can you can say, well, yeah. Tough, Mr. Contractor. Mm -hmm. uh, you promised to do it on a certain amount of time. I have liquidated damages. 
So I will whack you for liquidated damages and I don't care. Mm. But usually that's never enough because mm. the, the amount that you lose is far more than you can recoup by damages. Yep. So sometimes it does make sense to say, okay, look, really, I don't have to give this to you. Okay. Really, I don't. But in the interest of the project, okay, la, you take. I see. If this helps. I see. Right? And, and then it's, you, you, you got to look for this. Uh, it's win-win is... Uh, Probably too strong. Yeah. Not lose, not lose. Not lose, not lose. Let's <laughs> say is the the, the kind lesser of place, two evils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is where you're you're aiming for. So maybe you know MJ is not from the industry. Mm. How do you think? Uh, let's say someone at MJ or an investor. How do we actually take a glimpse of that and yeah. understand? Were there contingencies in place? You know when when, you know obviously uh, we've talked about Sebas so many times and and, and um, who. Sebra then who? That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So as an investor, how will we be able to either read in between the lines or be privy to this kind of information to make a judgment call to say, hey, the management of this particular company actually had this in place, had this contingency, had this experience, had the uh, know-how to gel everything together, you know, how... how from your perspective, I mean, so you've it's been. A, a, it's a very good question. Yeah, yeah. Let me think of a reasonably good answer. Yeah, and while okay. you're thinking of that, let me get you some water. Thank you. Yeah. I, th I think you have to look at the company, first of all, and see what are they? Mm -hmm. yeah, what is their history? Okay, so let's take a company at random. Let's say take Dayan. Right. Okay, let's take Dayan. Dayang has got a long history of doing work offshore. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Now, if, uh, and I say if, but they have, right? <laughs> uh, if somebody like Dayang, so let's, maybe there was another yeah. type of company, not Dayang, but mm. like Dayang, mm -hmm. uh, said, well, um, we want to now move into um, EPC um, work offshore. Mm. I would look at that and say, yeah, well, yeah, why not? Mm, mm. You know, I mean, they 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 have the history. Yeah, they know what they're doing. Uh, okay, it's it's a different contract um, modality, but at least they have a very good handle on some portion or a significant portion of the risk. Yeah, yeah, because when you're working offshore, most of the risk is offshore. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Waiting yeah. on weather, yeah. having the right uh, support services around. If there's, you know, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, in, in offshore, it's all about time, right? Yes. And uh, uh, when you go offshore, you're going with a with a big barge and tugs, and yeah. you know, and all of this costs money. And when you go to the platform, and if you can't work, that's money out of your pocket. If you're doing EPIC, correct. Right? If, you know, if you're in a lump sum thing, yeah. if you're on rates, you say, well, okay, too bad, boss. You know, I can't work, and you uh, <laughs> charge me standby or whatever. Yeah, yeah, right? waiting on weather yeah. time or yeah. So. I think first of all, you've got to look at that. Yeah. Okay. What is the history of the company? Mm -hmm. Is what they're now venturing into aligned with what they're doing? Okay. Yeah. And um, do they have a history of doing things successfully from mm -hmm. the start? Mm -hmm. So uh, um, if on the whole they do things well, yeah. Yeah. Then you've got to look at them and say, well, yeah. I think uh, you look at dialogue. 
Yeah. Right. Dialogue started from a very small piping Precisely. contractor, and Precisely. and now they're a very successful company. But that, I think Dialogue again, first of all, had very good people in oh, charge yes, of the yes, company. Yes. Yep. Uh, you know who you are. Yeah. Good people. Right. Yeah. And and have grown, I think, into a reputable and reliable company. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And but. They grew doing things that they knew, right? Yes. So they started doing piping and then they moved into tanks and stuff like that. I think a logical progression of what they were doing. So when you look at this kind of company, you think, yeah, you know, like like everything, the company is growing. It's growing at a steady pace and, and why not? Would you say that um, when looking to the history, because we're looking for clues as an investor, because mm. um, you mentioned just now earlier about... Uh, how Technip grew organically, which meant that it has certain advantages to someone who, you know, try to, you give the example of the left hand, right hand issue. So do you think that if I'm looking at an oil and gas company and I say, okay, this is a reliable company because of the, perhaps the speed at which they move into these verticals or horizontals or whatever term you want to use mm. versus perhaps you would stay away from companies that make big leaps. Like they were doing something small and then suddenly they're taking on task or projects that uh, is a logical progression, but then it's a big leap. Would you say that that's a signal for you to say that, okay, maybe the management can't really judge uh, how to progress the company sustainably? You've got to think about it, right? You know, because at the end of the day, um, it's essentially a risk assessment. Mm. Now, uh, the problem is when you, it depends on what the leap was, I think. So uh, you can grow uh, in size of the work you do, but it doesn't necessarily mean the complexity of what you do changes. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're making car parks. Yeah. Okay. So I make a car park, which is 100 square meters. Okay. And I become very good at making car parks of 100 square meters. Now I get given a car park of 1 million square meters. But the chances are I can do it, right? Yeah. Because it's the same work. It's just multiplication. Yeah. It's the same work. But if you look at, Mm. Uh, oil and gas and petrochemical projects is not the same. Yeah, yeah that's right. You know, so because what's happening is that the the level of complexity, the number of moving parts that you have to then manage increases um, dramatically. Yeah. And uh, it's different things that you might not have done before. So if you were, um, I don't know, if you were uh, a, a company that used to make platforms mm. you were a yard yeah okay now you want to become an epic contractor that's right yeah yeah exactly well okay you know it could work yeah. and, and you theory, could make yeah. a lot of money yeah all right and then probably as an investor you'd be terribly happy because yeah. your company made a lot of money yeah yeah the, the money you know you get it back in a dividend or your shit, whatever actually I, I rarely see that you know the the price goes up when they get the job, not when they finish the job. Correct. Right? Yeah, right? yeah. So when they get the job, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. The price goes up. Yeah. Nobody talks about when when we finish the job. <laughs> whether yeah. the project is implemented successfully, whether it makes money, that's yeah. a different story it's, altogether. It's kind of weird. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Not not again. Not mentioning any any particular yeah. names, <laughs> right? But uh, yeah. So uh, so I think as an investor, if you. First of all, you question whether as an investor, EPC contracting is where you should yeah, be putting your money at all. But okay, so you say you wanted to and you were comparing. Then I think you do need to look at um, the leap in complexity mm. rather than in terms of size. Mm. To me, is a, is a bigger indicator of uh, 
the um, challenges to manage mm. a project. Okay. Or not necessarily even um, complexity of a project to do work in a different country. Mm. Okay. Very good point. So, so the the challenges and risks and uh, everything that's associated with doing work that you might know might know how to do perfectly well in Malaysia might be completely different uh, if you choose to do it somewhere else. Yeah. And I can speak from bitter experience. From China, right? No. No. China was fine. Australia. Ah. Oh. Okay. Oh yes, I okay. remember you had yes yeah. one experience. Yeah. So so we we as Techni. Um, we had uh, a project to do in Australia. Yes. And it was a very similar project to projects we had done in Malaysia and we okay. thought we could do it very well. Mm. And we went to Australia and we didn't do it very well. Uh, and uh, yes. You got so, hammered in a way, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 was, I was in a yard where I think uh, the uh, leftover remnants of the projects was actually still there, actually. If we're referring to the same one. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm not blaming anybody, nor am I blaming myself. But yeah. what I'm saying is that as a company, yeah. um, when we're talking about, um, because we're talking about investing in organizations. Correct. Right? If a company that has forever, always worked in Malaysia, let's say, now decides to work in a completely different environment. So let's say um, Australia, because Australia is heavily unionized. Yes. Uh, legislation is different. Legislation, Yeah. Or if you, I don't know, let's pick a country at random, Mexico or somewhere like that, right? Mm, mm. I mean, if I was asked to go and do a project in Mexico, well, I haven't got a clue, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I honestly, uh, um, I know how things work in Malaysia. Yeah. I don't know. In Mexico, you know, uh, are there unions there? Yeah. Uh, are there people that I need to be paid off? Otherwise, they come and shoot me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes, I mean, it happens, right? Yes, I mean, yes. Sorry. I, okay. I take that back. <laughs> okay. okay, I yeah. take that back. Yeah. No, but but uh, uh, I'm sure I would love to go and visit Mexico someday. But you hear some some stories, <laughs> yeah. right? No, so but all I'm saying is that your your risk profile is completely different. Mm. And when you, as a company, decide to take on work with a completely different risk profile, then as an investor, you got to think: Well, do these people have the capacity to manage it? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, especially if it's a big project. Yes, yes, yeah? yes, yes. I think, I think you know, to espouse what you just said, um, we have Malaysian players that go outside. Yes. And um, some are transparent. Some, when they hit the wall, then they'll tell you. Lah. And I think uh, there's this company who does a lot of work in, uh, in, in the middle, no, not so much Middle East. I think more recently in Brazil, Latin American countries, and they are, you know, the, the CEO has come out and says that, oh, we undertook risks that we didn't understand well enough. Mm. I think hindsight is always perfect 2020, but maybe again from an investor's perspective, what are the other things besides what you mentioned? Uh, scaling in complexity, uh, doing in, uh, it in another country. How else can investors prepare <laughs> when they see, you know, someone came and say, oh, our, our revenue base is not Malaysia, but exports, you know, we are very, uh, does this send a red signal or red sign to you? Not necessarily. Okay. Uh, I mean, you've got to grow. Yeah. So, so you, you've got this two-edged sword, right? Yes, yes. So here you are, you're a Malaysian company. Uh, you have uh, done well in Malaysia and now you want to expand. Yes. So how are you going to do it? Mm. And, and it makes, 
Yeah, good sense that you want to international. That's how I mean companies become international. Like correct, every, correct. Every, so uh, not necessarily a red signal, mm. but you, I think you have to look critically at. Well, are you going off to do a project which is a, a huge project in a place you've never done before, mm. doing a thing which you've never done before? Mm. I mean, it's fraught with. Disaster. It's like landmines all over the yeah, place, right? Think, man, okay, yeah. if you manage that, good luck to you. Right? <laughs> yeah, you know, but yeah, the chances yeah. are you're going to have some trouble, right? Mm, mm. Or are you going off and you know you're going to start doing some smaller work in the Middle East somewhere ah. or something like that, where you know the contracting environment is quite regulated, mm. and you know that the um, the way that thing you know it's easier to to work. I mean, I, I worked in Brazil mm. when I was in aviation. Mm. We had a, um, a project in uh, in Sao Paulo okay. to put another pipeline from the fuel farm to the airport. Because okay. they only had one. Oh. So if that pipeline failed, Sao Paulo airport would have no fuel. Wow. And that was just before the Olympics and World Cup and oh, all of that. Wow. So we were ready to go. you know. And then I went there and then my guy there said, you know, Kamesam, uh, we cannot start because... The all the piping that we're supposed to connect to now, the contractor has been uh, sacked because of corruption, oh. and now the army is moving in, and until they do that, we can't move, right? So, you know, okay, <laughs> if you had taken that as a lump sum project, yeah. wow, you know, now you now you're you're in a bit of a corner, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, if you had not known, so so maybe if you were smart and you'd gone there and said, no, I'm not going to do it on lump sum, I'm going to do it on rates, mm. and. Uh, uh, contingent on all of these things being available, my, I commit my schedule, mm. right? And you shared that with the market. Yes. Okay. So you went to the market and said, "Yeah, we got this great job in Brazil, uh, but uh, um, we are going to show you the investors that you know we are very comfortable with doing this work because, because, because." Mm. Yeah, I think then, as an investor, you would say, "Yeah, great." The caveats are all spelled out. You know, caveat this, this, this. I'm not sure how often companies do it. I think sometimes they do it better than mm. than others. Yeah. But in an environment where you know a competitive environment where people are going to say, well, do I put my money here or do I put my money there? Mm. I think the company that came out and demonstrated that it could manage its risk yeah. would probably attract the investors better. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I have to ask this question, Please. right? Because you've been all over the the globe, right? Yeah. Um, and that has to do with working in all these different countries. Like you, you know, you you gave us a glimpse of what's it like working in Australia? And you said you had a good experience in China. Um, obviously, we probably don't have the time to go into every single country that you've operated in, or maybe mm. we do. But what would you say are some of the highlights? And you know, it's up to you whether you want to share the negative parts of certain countries. Like I know you shared the part about Brazil, how the army can get involved in your work. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, because uh, I think for a lot of people listening, they don't have a clue, right? On the political risk yes, side of yes. very good question, MJ. Of of uh, of doing EPCC work, whether as a client or not. So yeah, maybe you can share with us what it's like working on all these different countries. What has your experience been? Uh, yeah. Mm, I think uh, Australia was tough, and Australia was tough because we chose to do a EPC lump sum project. Mm -hmm. in an environment where nobody did it. Oh. And the first question the client asked me when uh, we were doing negotiation was, how come you're quoting EPC lump sum when all the Australian contractors don't want to? Mm. And uh, 
We he was said, already giving you a hint, right? We, we said, oh, no, no, sweat. we can do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because if you've probably done this before in, in the Malaysia, past, so you probably thought Malaysia, that you could do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that that was probably uh, not not such a highlight. Yeah. Uh, but that project had highlights too, because in that project, uh, during that time, uh, it was when the commodity prices were changing very rapidly. I see. Um, so we managed to engineer and procure the project within the budget mm. when the validity of quotes was one week. So you want to buy pipe, like I said, you buy it today, I give you one week validity because after that, the price will change. Mm. Well, but being, uh, so it was a, a very satisfying project in the sense that we managed to engineer uh, things in a way to offset that. China was great. Mm. China was a, a lovely place to work. Um, great people, very different challenges. Regulators? How were the regulators and the legislators? Regulators were actually good. Okay. Um, they, they were um, strict, but they were um, very um, knowledgeable. Ah. Very knowledgeable. Mm. Uh, on the PetroChina side, mm -hmm. uh, when you talk to the guy, the guy is very upfront about what, what he wants, why he thinks you should mm. do this, why he And they were, the challenges, I think, were very fair challenges. Mm, 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 you know? Mm. So... Um, well, you know, uh, we talked earlier about PSCs, right? Yes, yes. And field development. Yes, right. So we, we would come with a particular plan and he'd say, but you know, you promised guys that you want to do this much, so why are you doing this? Yeah. You know, but he would listen. Mm. You know, so I, I thought China was fine. Um, we did some great work in Sichuan. Yeah. Uh, with um, safety. Mm. You know, changing the way that things were built and, and stuff like that. They were very manual. Mm. Right, very, very manual. You know, everything was manpower. Okay. So uh, brute force. Uh. Yeah. So to me, China, a big highlight. I mm. liked it very much. Mm -hmm. um, aviation was was much fun because it was a global job. I see. So uh, we had projects in South Africa. We had projects in the Middle East. We had projects in in Europe. Um, we built a fuel farm in City Airport in London. Ah. We had to build it inside uh, a hangar. Whoa. Because they didn't want people to see that things were going on and then complain. Ah. So it was a very, very interesting, interesting job. Okay. Uh, I think most of my highlights actually in Malaysia. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Honestly. Um, uh, working for Petronas, um, or Petronas as the client, yeah. the, the one at that time, one of the largest uh, PVC plants. Okay. In uh, where was this? In Kerte. In Kerte, okay. Uh, and we did it um, even on time, under budget. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, yeah. Great. Nice. Yeah. Um, maybe now we segue into... Um, are you an investor in oil and gas? Would you invest in any oil and gas company in Malaysia? <laughs> I am an investor by default. Okay. Because I have uh, Shell shares. Oh, Vested, is it vested already or? Vested, vested. Vested, okay. But I still have the other shell is a good share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Keep yeah. it. Keep Even it. though it's gone down, you know, they pay a dividend every year. Yeah. Very faithfully. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, um, the price will go, you know, oil and gas is a cyclical industry. The price correct. will go up again. Correct, correct. But any Malaysian players, are apparently, you mentioned dialogue, great management, but. Am I allowed to say what I would put money into? Uh, Yeah, I think uh, yeah, so. But um, we, we have a disclaimer, yeah. like, like. For just a disclaimer, it's just it's not financial advice, yeah. it's just your yeah. own opinion and yeah, go speak yeah. to your professional advisor for investment advice. Yeah, so normally for every video we also say if we own or not. So like yeah. in, in this case I own dialogue, I yeah. own Yinsen. So you know, 
as long as we we are upfront about it, it's fine. Mm. So <laughs> I don't own either uh, dialogue, but I've thought about dialogue, mm. and I I still think that dialogue is uh, okay. I think it depends how you invest, okay, mm. or how, why you invest. Yeah. So I'm not the put it in in the morning and then look in the afternoon investor. Yeah. All right. I prefer to say I put it in in the morning and I look in one year. Mm. Right. Um, so. Uh, Historically, my record of investing has not been very good. Okay. Except in the last few years, where when the market went down, okay. remember uh, at the time when COVID and all first started. Correct, correct. Then I said, well, let me go and look at dividend-bearing companies ah. that have all gone down by more than 30-40%. Okay, okay. And then I chose to buy into those companies. Oil and gas, I didn't buy into at that time because I already have Shell shares. So I, I see. I felt my portfolio was already Too quite balanced in in uh, in terms of investment in the oil and gas sector. But if I were, I think, I, like I said, I think Dialog is a sound company. Okay. I like Dayang actually. Ah. I've worked with Dayang before. Okay. Uh, Dayang's core business is maintenance. You always have to do maintenance. Correct. Yeah. Um, Correct. And I think they have a, a good management. Mm-hmm. Uh, who have been in the company for a long time. Great. So, uh, yeah, I do like them as a company. And, and, and working with them, you get a good feel for them. They, they, know, they know their stuff, lah, put it this yeah. way. Lah. Um, I will think about Bumi Yamada. Okay. I will think about them. I think their, their price is now quite low, right? Yeah. But I, so here, here comes the, the question. Uh, you know, I was asking before the podcast whether you had much experience in evaluating an FPSO project. Um, and you said not that much, but would it be fair for me to say that the characteristics that you mentioned earlier uh, about how to be a good EPCC contractor, how to manage projects well in an EPCC, will the same criteria actually apply to an FPSO player, in your opinion? I mean, no right More now. so. Because uh, the typically FPSO projects fail because of the integration between the oil part and the ship part. Ah. Right? Okay. So, uh, I don't know whether you read today, uh, I mean, there's been all sorts of issues with Prelude. Oh, oh, Prelude has been, you know, I, I when I was in a Shell employee, right, I was very proud to announce, oh, you know, Shell's going to be the first or whatever. PLFLNG1 came out. PLFLNG2 <laughs> came out. And here we have kind of like Shell being the pioneer who pioneered this idea and still we, we can't get it right, you know, so... It's not easy. Yeah, it's yeah not and, and you know, uh, I heard that they have some electrical problems and stuff like that. And I don't know whether the electrical problems are ship problems, the or, integration of the ship problems the with side. the topside problem. Mm. So I just don't know. Yeah. But what I do know is that uh, many FPSO projects have failed because many of them aren't new builds, they're conversions. Anyway. Correct, correct. So you go and buy, basically what that means is you go and buy a, a, a tanker or something from correct. somewhere. And then you strip it and then you, you convert it so that it stores oil with some uh, production facilities as well. Correct. Yeah. And doing that is, uh, is seems to be, like I, said, I don't have a lot of experience in doing it myself, Mm-mm. but historically it seems to be a, a, an issue. I see. So then, uh, if you have experience in all of that, and sometimes they're new builds. Eh? Yes. So sometimes uh, you don't, you actually build everything together. The from ship scratch. and the thing all from scratch. And yeah. then, it's probably more likely to succeed. Yeah. So that's where I think then companies like Bumi, uh, um, who have got experience in the game, and yeah. uh, and uh, what's the other company? SBM. SBM. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or Modec. Or Mo- yes, or Modec. Yeah. These companies now, I think they know how to do it. 
Okay, okay. They know how to do it. And the beauty of their model, uh, okay, I'm talking from past history, I don't know whether it still is, that they yeah. they generally tended to lease, long lease their, Correct. their fleet. Correct. So um, it's just, once it's leased, it's kaching, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. Money, the money just comes in. Correct. And Correct. you don't have to worry. So, so all this business about engineering overruns and, and all of that, it never used to be such a big deal for the FPSO guys mm. because they knew, okay, you're one year late. Correct. But for the next 20 years, you're going to make money on this. Correct. Thing, exactly. Right? Exactly. And, and then, you know, so, so good. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, when the price all went to crap, a lot of people then said, look, take it back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want it anymore. And, uh, and yeah, so there you are. Yeah. But, I th- yeah, I think Bumi is cheap. And, you know, this game is a cyclical game, yeah, oil and yeah. gas game. So it's always been every seven to ten years. There's this big crash in oil and gas prices, correct? correct. And everybody cries and they say, you know, the world is going to end and all of that. Actually, that's true. Everyone I speak to that has been in oil and gas or, or whatever, they they usually start their story. You know, I started my career when you know oil prices was very bad, or they're like midway through their career, or, or rather two years in. Or you know, I I, I feel I was getting sick. And they always start with their story. Or <laughs> you know, oil price was really bad. You know, yeah. back in my day. So yeah. I'm wondering. The 40-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, 50-year-old all saying that the oil price was bad. Because it always was at one time. Yeah, yeah. 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 It always was. So I think in my case, I've been through three three crashes, right? And you know it will recover. It's just cyclical. So, I mean, this one is, I think, perfect storm. You had COVID and you had, uh, you know, the shale gas uh, issues, the the Saudis pushing the prices down and all of that. So everything depressed the prices, but now they're coming back up. Yeah. Exactly. And now, okay, Mr. Omicron and what have you, and that <laughs> yeah. has, you know, messed with it a little bit. Mm. But it's, it's uh, to me, the price seems to be whatever people want it to be. Great. Yeah? I, I guess I have to ask now about yes. your thoughts on, um, you know, the ESG issue, right? Oh, yeah. ESG is such a big thing now in the investing community. It's almost as if if, you, if a company is ESG compliant, you know, the price is going to go up and then the reverse is true. It's not very ESG compliant. Alarm, you know, a lot of these oil and gas companies, uh, then then obviously it's not good for the, the share price. So, you know, part of the reason why oil prices have been beaten down, apart from the low oil prices, is also the ESG theme, right? So as an insider, right, like what do you think about this overall? And is uh, because you're doing consultancy work as well, but you what what sort of advice will you give to all these companies? Will you say that, hey, um, don't go against the trend or you know, just stick stick at it. Oil and gas is still going to be here and, and you know, all this is just noise and, and these two shall pass, you know. No, it's not noise. Mm. I don't think it's noise. Mm. I think it is a, it is a significant issue. Mm. And uh, I think it is, uh, it's not going to go away. Yes. It's not going to go away. It's, it's going to get more and more um, important in the, in the way that people, well, you see, the, the problem is, it's not the retail investor yeah. that's the issue here. It's the institutional investor. Yeah, it's the institu- yeah. So your pension funds and your uh, whatever, mm. yeah, um, who actually drive the thinking. Yeah, think. that's right. Uh, you could argue that they are. Um, it is the the retail investor influences how pension funds think perhaps mm. but the reality is that social gov- i mean uh, corporate governance and 
environmental, environmental social, yeah, all of that. It's it can't go away, right? That particular genie is out of the bottle. Yeah, right? you can't you can't stuff you, it back you in. You can't say, well, yeah, okay, um, you know, in twenty twenty one, we talked a lot about the environment, but next year we don't give two hoots about it. Yeah, right? it's, yeah. it's never going to go away. Mm, mm. Um, but to be fair to the oil and gas companies, I think um, most with one standout exception, <laughs> right, um, are trying their best to confront the issue. Because mm. you have to look at the reality of things as well. Mm. It's all very well to say ESG, ESG, yeah, that's and right. all of that, but you still need oil. Yes. And you will still need oil for the next 20, 30, 40 years, whatever, right? You can't get away from it. Mm. So the question then is, how do you um, balance out the two things? Uh, I think, the, so the oil companies, when I joined Shell, their thinking was, look, let's not look too much at all of this alternate energy stuff and all of that. Let's focus on oil mm. and do that efficiently on oil mm. and gas. Mm, mm. I think now that cycle has changed a bit. Now they are looking at alternative energies and stuff like that. Okay. So uh, you've got, you know, beyond petroleum. Yeah. Right. So there's, there's uh, I think, uh, a deep consciousness at the at the corporate level, that something needs to be done there. Mm. Um, it's more the E, right? Because the SG, I think, the bigger uh, solvable, those companies, are more solvable, solvable, and they do. Yeah, and they do. Yeah, I mean, we have to be fair to them. But the the the, the question, I suppose, I would pose to the the environmental activist is, that's fine, okay? You don't want oil, but you wear, uh, you drive a car. Yeah, right. Okay, your car is a, a battery-operated car, but every other damn thing in that car needs oil. Exactly. Yeah, right? Exactly. You, 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 the leather seat. Yeah, leather. exactly. Yeah. All of it needs oil, right? Yeah, yeah. You have a, a steel mill that's producing the steel for your engine. Yeah. Well, where does the energy for that come yeah, from? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, you have to build up your, your alternative uh, energy profile. And the more you do, of course, the more you will. Right. Yeah. yeah? But oil ain't going away anytime soon. Precisely. So then the question is, okay, what then do you want? Mm. Uh, as, assuming that the, uh, uh, you're going to be having to still produce oil and gas, what's going to satisfy, let's say the activist, but it's not really the activist because you know it's much, it's much deeper than that. Now. Correct. So what's going to satisfy the average person that the environmental concerns are being addressed to the best that it's, it's possible while uh, at the same time allowing you to maintain your lifestyle? Something like an Arlap concept, I think. I think so. Yeah. But do you think like in terms of the activism you know, that, that it has perhaps, obviously this is not in your control, but do you think that it has swung perhaps too hard or too fast too against much, yeah. the oil majors or the oil and gas industry? No, or do you I, think it's a, fair, it's a fair punch? I think it's a fair punch. Right. I, I think that uh, honestly, without people making uh, a lot of noise, mm. that you won't even get, you, you know, the the um, momentum is such that you need a lot of effort to make a little change, mm. and without all of this, you won't get the change. Right. This time, you know, it's like uh, at one time I was um, told Karpal Singh, you know, he was ah. asked, 
why is it every time you go to parliament, you make all this noise, you know, it's always so loud, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. He said, well, because if I go there and I'm soft, nobody will listen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so, so, so he, true. Yeah. So he goes there and, he, you know, he's this real lion and the, you know, yeah, roars and, yeah. you know. And the tiger of Jilutong. Uh, a little bit of the roar gets through. It, it, it works. And I think yeah. that's exactly what's happened today. Mm. You know, and, and I think it's a good thing. You know, yes. I, of course, I, I work in the industry, but we're all human beings and we all want... Uh, uh, um, a pleasant environment and we want to make sure that we have a planet that's going to last a bit longer than us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can do it. The technology is there. It's a question of effort. Yes. Right. And will. And will. Yeah. So, and, and uh, I think if now those companies that are doing it will benefit from it because yeah. it's, it's an issue of concern. It's out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, probably we want to come back to Malaysia and, uh, and talk about the PSC regimes and even state-owned oil and gas companies. So mm. you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. And your opinion. We'll say, we'll say uh, probably unpopular things. That yeah, I'll exactly. never get another job. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you think that? I mean, you've you've traveled the globe, worked in different, uh, you know, China, Australia, and all that. Do you think Petronas is fair with their PSC regime? <laughs> yes next question <laughs> okay so what is a PSC yes all right so uh, essentially what we have is we have a national asset yeah. which is oil and gas in the ground yeah um, we want to extract that asset to the benefit of all Malaysians okay that's the elevator speech yes um in order to do that, we need people who are willing to come in and take risks to, first of all, establish that there is actually oil there, where the oil is, how much it is, yep. right? And then once we've done that, then to spend money on putting in infrastructure and uh, uh, people and whatever so that we can harvest that thing, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, I have a piece of land. Okay, I think that land probably might be good for growing durian, but I don't know. Mm. But in order to get to that land, I need to build a road. Okay. And that road is going to cost me, you know, um, 100,000 bucks. I don't have 100,000 bucks. And then I don't even know. But I mean, somewhere nearby, there's a durian farm and it seems to be quite good. But I don't know whether that particular land that I've got is any good or not. Mm. So I need to go there and I need to take some, I don't know what durian farmers do, but okay. Yeah. I need to go and take soil some sample. samples of the soil yeah. or whatever to see that it's suitable for growing durian. Yeah. So assuming I spend money on building a road, I spend money on taking soil samples. If the soil sample is good, I need to know how many durian trees I can build here. Because if I have to spend a lot of money and I can only grow three trees, there's no point. Mm. Yeah, right? Uh, so I need to do something. I maybe need to test for a while, grow a few trees, whatever it is. And then I need to go wholesale if it's good into putting it into there and all of that. And then I can harvest my durian for yeah. the next 20 years. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So as the owner of the land, I'm saying to you, hey, I've got this great land here. You know, why don't you come and, and plant durian trees? As the potential uh, planter, I'm saying, yeah, but you know, it's going to cost me a lot of money to do all of this. Mm. And at the end of the day, there might be nothing there. I might end up having to, to just say thank you very much and leave, right? Yeah, yeah. So we enter into a deal. But what I want to say is, this land is my land forever. It's going to be my land, mm. 
right? So I'm never going to sell the land to you yeah. because it's a national asset. You know, it's been in my family for generations and my grandfather told me never to sell this land. Okay. Okay, so I have to keep the land. Mm. So fine enough, okay? Let's enter into a deal where um, I'll undertake the cost for all of this. Okay. And uh, if it so happens, then uh, since you have given me the land, mm -hmm. right? For 20 years, we will share the durians mm. in some ratio. Yeah. Okay. So that's your PSC. Mm. Yeah. So your PSC, uh, uh, Petronas being the custodian, yeah. uh, will say, here's a certain amount of uh, acreage. Yeah. We think it looks okay. Okay. You know, uh, next door, so-and-so is producing. Yeah. You interested or not? Yeah. And people will come and, and they will compete. Usually yes. there's some sort of competition. Yeah. And you enter into a petroleum sharing contract. contract. Yeah. And all it is, is it's an agreement between Petronas and a contractor or more than one contractor or mm -hmm. possibly uh, even part of Petronas or Charigali, you mm -hmm. know, so it all becomes very mixed up. Yeah. On uh, what you're going to do, mm -hmm. when you're going to do it. Yeah. And how you're going to share the profits. Mm. Uh, on the basis that if there's nothing there, then tough luck. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Well, not all. Yeah. Not, not all. Uh, uh, we say PSCs. There are many, many different flavors of PSCs in different countries of the world. Yeah. Is the PSC in Malaysia a good PSC or bad PSC? Mm -hmm. As long as people come and they're still willing to do it. Correct. Yes. Correct. Right? right. So it's a buyer's market, seller's market. Okay? Yes, yes. If I put something on the market, nobody wants to buy it, then probably the terms of my contract are too onerous. Yes. And I should go to Mauritania or Brazil or wherever it is and work there. Yeah. So, you know, like typically, <coughs> I'm not fully au fait with what it is today. And they also know RSCs and things yeah, like that. Yeah, this, this, I was look, looking at a sliding scale, Kamesam uh, uh, was like, RSC is a, is a sliding scale where in, in which there's more risk, but obviously then you can claim more in terms of cost oh, and the profit sharing will be more because of the risk. But I think the point that you brought up and I want to allude more towards, it's oil is kind of like a black curse to a lot of countries. So if you look at countries like Mexico, they do have some way that you bring in foreign investors and all that. And then Brazil, you know, with the, the scandal of Petrobras. Do you think that Petronas, I mean, in, I have my own bias opinion, which is I think they did a good job. Um, do you think the regulators are doing a good job, from your opinion, in, in managing our country's assets so far? I do. I do. Well, I mean, you know, you can say it's a black curse, but if you look at Norway. Oh, yeah, exactly. They're sitting on a trillion dollars of uh, corporate uh, sovereign wealth fund. Correct. They correct. seem quite happy to me. Correct, correct, right? correct. So do I think Petronas is doing a good job? I do think they're doing a good job. I mean, nobody is perfect in this world, mm, mm, right? Mm. But uh, yes, of course, if you compare to people like you know, okay, the those particular countries, I think, have issues with corruption. Mm. And I think it's a separate issue from um, how they planned to develop the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. On, the, on the whole, I think uh, Petronas as a regulator is, uh, is as good as any other regulator and mm. probably better than many. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Great. What do you think of... Um, states now trying to take back control of their mineral rights because now with Sarawak coming up with Petros, you know, it's, it's kind of like opening up the floodgates and suddenly Sabah wants to, you it's know. a challenge to the establishment yes, yes, from the outside. It's yeah. a political problem now. Mm. Yeah. 
So it's a political problem. Uh, I think Sabah and Sarawak are quite different um, issues mm. compared to states in Peninsular Malaysia. Correct. Uh, simply because of their status uh, within uh, our f- federation. Federation, right? correct, correct. What do I think of it? I mm. think that it all comes down to dollars and cents. Mm. So I think uh, if the Sarawakians and Sabahans felt that they were getting a fair deal mm. from uh, Petronas, why I don't understand? I cannot understand why they would want to do anything. Precisely, okay. precisely. So uh, clearly, it's a it's a reaction to uh, a belief that I can do better for myself mm. than you are doing for me. Yeah. Can or cannot, I don't know. Correct. Correct. Right? I mean, you need, it's, it's not so easy to do these things. You need resources. And exactly. You need, exactly. Yeah. Like experience, I don't think is an issue because there are tons of experience. Sarawakians and yes. Sabahans. Right? Yes. So I don't think there's an issue there. But it's the question of, uh, of, uh, of resources. Mm. And the, I guess the other question is, since you've already had Petronas going on for so long, um, putting my mediator's hat on, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would say, would it not be better to come together and uh, uh, create a, I not say win-win, not lose, not lose deal. Correct. Where right. if not both parties are equally happy, both parties are equally unhappy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But but let I mean, yeah. So I don't know whether that answers your question. No, no, I think I think it answers it perfectly because I That's my personal view. I yeah, I, I wanted your mediator's perspective because you see, if you talk to the camp where, you know, I'm I'm Strokian, and if you talk to those extremists, they'll obviously say, Oh no, we have to fight for right. I, I speak to a lot of my classmates, right? It's like their land, you know. Yeah, it's, it's like their yeah, land, right? It becomes uh, it comes it, it becomes emotional. Yes, yes. And and on the other hand, it says, Hey, but you signed, you agree to the PDA in nineteen seventy-four, and you know, uh combining resources at that point of time, combining technical expertise under one roof made sense, right? And developing the expertise as one, as a nation. But I think like what you pointed out, rightly so, is that if they had, if they felt that they had the right end, or the, the fair share of their stick, I don't think this issue would have solved. And I think going forward, rather than being at loggerheads and trying to show who, who, who has the bigger, you know, machoism or, you know, if a win-win situation could be developed, I from me personally, I think developing the nation's resources as one is better rather than having state regulation. It's like, it's like I'm coming to do, if I'm, uh, let's say, Royal Dutch Shell, and I come, oh, if I drill in Kemaman and the, 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 the safety requirements, the PSC regulation, everything, and then if I drill in Strawa, it's totally different. It brings up costs, you know. Yeah, and, and then the, the talent actually is the same group of people. The same right? group of people, but then because of the structure exactly. of which the, the yeah. legislation, it brings up cost to me. And I, I feel that, you know, uh, great that Kamesam is a, is a mediator. You can still make money if you're willing to come to the negotiation table and, you know, everyone is, is fair yeah. to each other. I think it is a question of trying to find out how you can make the cake bigger ah, for very each good. other. Yes. Um, not so much how do I divide up this present cake. Mm. Yeah? Yes, yes. Uh, but you know, John. So you know, speaking to your point about people believe it's their land and all of that, yeah, it's just mathematics, right? So when, <laughs> when you look at the amount of money that comes out of uh, Sarawak from oil revenue, yeah, and you look at towns like Kuching and Miri and the infrastructure and stuff like that, yes, and you compare it to Kuala Lumpur and Johor Bahru, let's correct, say, correct. Let's say, right? I'm just saying it's different. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. It's different. 
And I think that it is, uh, I quite understand why uh, nationalistic Sarawakians should question why it should be different. Correct. Correct. Yeah, and Correct. I, I believe that, uh, but it looks as, as though it's going in the right way, doesn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah? And I, I, I do, it's, it's so funny, you know, because a lot of our former colleagues mm. are just Sarawakians and then they just move. It's like they just change the coverall. Because <laughs> mm. the resources are the same. I mean, the, the skills you develop and everything is the same. Mm. I think, as you rightly pointed out, it's just dollars and cents. If there is not not such a big disparity, I don't think this this would even come up. But but I I I do hope they come to an amicable solution. Um, Largely dollars and cents. Yes. I, I think of course there is this whole, um, as you said, national pride. Yeah. I'm talking about Sarawak's yeah. national pride. Yes. That this is our stuff, and yes. we should have the the say. Yes. On how it's managed. Yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, if uh, again, just just me speaking. Yeah. If at the end of the day, um, you you struck a deal where you said, yeah, fine, okay, yes. sorry, what? It's yours. Yes. Yeah, you manage it, whatever it is, but you give this much to the federal government, and you're happy. Correct. I think the federal government will be perfectly happy too. You exactly. Know? So, you know, because you are taking on the risk. You know, yeah. If you're developing and everything, you are also taking on the risk as well. You see? Yeah. Well, that that's that's how you decide to apportion the risk and the. So so you're right. That there, there, there's it's not so clear-cut there's a yeah. lot of emotion and history yeah. there as well but to answer your original question yeah. is the state the best entity to manage that when you already have had an entity that has been doing that for uh, uh let me see 1974 so you're talking yeah. about 30 40 years almost 40 yeah. years then uh all things being equal why? Yeah, why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Duplication of resources. And yeah. Kind of, yeah. So, I think part of the thing that probably contributes, I don't know if you agree, is actually the inefficient tax structure for the whole country in terms of we don't tax people properly, right? I, I, mean, think, I think you're spot on to that. Because right? like, for example, why why do we need... So, I mean, oil and gas is about 13% of the exports now in Malaysia. So mm. why are we like so reliant on oil and gas? Well, part of the reason is probably because uh, maybe the removal of the GST or maybe all these different tax sources. And also the fact that the our biggest exports have actually very low taxation, which is actually the semiconductors. Correct. We don't tax them a lot because we need them to grow, right? Yeah. So because of all that, then, you know, that any sh- 10, the average 10 to 15 billion shortfall has to come from oil and gas. Petronas. Perhaps that is the reason. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, you know, uh, this one is beyond my area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I, I want to say right now, I want to say nothing against the income tax department. I love yeah, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> you, you are great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think as implementers uh, and 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 all, I think they they have been doing a great job. I think it's more of like what MJ pointed out the structure in which the tax. Because you see, a lot of people when they look at a government budget, they only look from their perspective, which is yeah. Like, what can I? What am I getting? Yep. But right. where I think the struggle will be is that if you look at the government from a business entity's perspective, they need money to run. And the, 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 I think the point MJ is trying to bring out is that the money to run, where are the, where are the sources of money and, and the structure in which yeah. as income tax, right? You know, I, I can't remember the specific number, but I know a very low proportion of people pay income tax. Mm. And that's because of uh, which problem. So we could go on for a day whether... Uh, Malaysia should raise their income tax, uh, 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 wages and all that. But I think because of that tax structure, it actually does not benefit the oil and gas industry. I think that's the point he's trying to make because semiconductor industry, they get pioneer status coming some. 
they get ten years. Or uh, GMP or, or yeah, five, five plus five. five. Plus five they, don't, they don't pay taxes for the first ten years. But oil and gas, the moment uh, it comes yeah. out of the ground, you've got pita, you've got all these kind of things, right? And and because I guess the issue is the the Sarawakians are not getting enough. Yeah. Right? And if there are other taxation or, I mean there's another conversation to be had, I guess, if Assuming we get all the good tax revenue, whether they will still want to give the Sarawakian. That's another separate <laughs> issue, right? I yeah. don't know. But I I think we are running a bit about time. Yeah, let's, 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 I, I just probably want to wrap up in, yeah. in the sense that for Kamesam, um, being in the oil and gas industry, being a mediator today, right? And seeing both ends of uh, the spectrum of the industry. What is your hope for the industry? What's your wish list for the industry, actually? For the oil and gas industry? Yes, for the oil and gas industry. Um, to be quite honest, uh, I, I actually what I would like to see is um, less patronage. <laughs> say this. Okay, uh, I okay for for the industry as a whole. I I think it's going in the right direction. Mm. Uh, you can see different forms of development. Um, you can see. Uh, technological innovation mm. uh, and Petronas is doing some some very clever things. Okay. Yeah. So I think we're, we're going in the right way. I think um, the industry would benefit a lot by figuring out some way to increase the competence of people at the entry and mid-level um, corporate at the entry and mid-level corporate level you know mm, mm, mm. in terms of companies mm, mm. so uh, to me there's a as a there's a lack of competency mm. and and experience and stuff at that level those guys come why, why do you think so I, I agree with you and why i think so is what i see so so what do i do okay now yeah today my job is um i do adjudication yeah uh, and adjudication is essentially um judging disputes that uh companies have with each other yeah uh construction related mm. and some of which are oil and gas i do mm. arbitration okay and it's the same thing uh, yeah. just a bit bigger mm. right and uh, i do claims management okay so this is what i do today yeah and uh, what i see many times is the problems that have arisen uh, arise from a lack of competence i'm not saying that people are how should i say it? they're not stupid yeah right they these are uh, intelligent hard working people but they lack certain competencies mm, let me mm, put it mm. in, that's a better way of putting mm, it i mm. guess so it would be um good if there was some way of them acquiring these competencies um easily mm-hmm. uh relatively cheaply mm-hmm. because the oil and gas industry is a very low margin industry you know so mm. so uh when you're in there uh, sending people for training generally is a bit you know painful and and like the okay the major companies they do it yes yeah and there's no issue with that but, but the smaller com- companies you know you're you're a, a not a one man show but maybe a three man show to send your your project manager off for training course or something and pay for that it's a bit hard mm, mm. so petronas seems to have got very involved in running petronas started off with a mission to develop um the oil industry in malaysia and yeah. to nurture talent and all of that and i think he's done that very well yes i just wonder sometimes whether petronas 
creating companies that are profit centers in themselves uh, has um, diluted that purpose I a little. Understand, understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I think. What do you think? Um, by going further upstream, meaning in the sense that, do you think we are getting? Don't not talk about even middle or entry or middle level, skilled labor. Do you think that the education system today even encourages that? You know, because I don't know if you heard this before. They said that Sarawakian scaffolders are among the best in the world. Mm. Right? I can believe it. Yeah. 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 And 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 yet, as a parent, when your child is more inclined to do skilled work, skilled labor work, is actually thrown upon vocational work. Yeah, yeah vocational yeah. work. Yeah. Do you think that uh, is the government doing enough, or uh, is just that people not aware or? that one is awareness and two is money you know okay how much you're paid mm. so like uh, I'll give you an example when I was in Australia okay uh, doing my project the guy carrying the cement okay for the guy doing the brickwork okay uh, so wow. not even the guy doing the brickwork uh, I'm talking about the, wow. the guy's assistant he was getting paid about $40 $50 an hour Australian uh, yeah yeah <laughs> 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 yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and on top of that, you know, all the allowances and blah, 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 yeah. blah, 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 yeah. blah. So um, um, it was perfectly fine and people were very happy. Mm. And if you are an electrician, and nowadays I understand like in, in Australia, in the building industry, if you want to renovate your house, huh, you have to wait about a year wow. for somebody to come to give you the time. Wow. Yeah? So, and you pay. You do You do pay. Mm. I think that that brings uh, some challenges in itself. Mm. Okay, so so uh, I think the problem in Australia is because you get paid so well but doing yes. these vocational jobs yes. that you know, oh, really, I got to go to university for four years and study to be an mm. engineer and mm. all of that. Mm. And when I come out, I get paid less than my friend who was started as an apprentice electrician. Correct. Yeah? Correct. Correct. I uh, know. Right. So then I think you you they've lost the balance a bit. Yeah. But in Malaysia, um, yeah. How much do you get paid as an apprentice electrician? Oh my god, I, I don't think it's enough yeah. for minimum wage, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so who's responsible for that? Yes. Uh, again. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Uh, we can't solve world hunger. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But that's got to be what will drive people to do uh, um, more vocational things, mm. right? Yeah. When I when I say vocational, I mean. To become a qualified electrician, it's not like you're, it's, it's, it's easy. Yeah? Yes, yes. Yeah? Or an instrument technician or whatever it is. These are, uh, so one is the pay. Two is, I think, well, um, the industry probably doesn't sell that enough yes. as a potential. So it would be, I, I, you know, I suppose I speak about things that are really outside my knowledge set. So yeah. I don't know yeah. whether... Shell and Petronas and Hess and all of these people go around to local schools and say, guys, really think about being a scaffolder because mm. it's going to be a great job. Mm. Yeah. yeah. How do you know what a scaffolder is? You know how a scaffolder is because your uncle or whatever used to be one. Yeah. And then he says, hey, this is not a bad job. Why correct. don't you try, right? Correct, correct, correct. Right? So whether you're, you're pushing this in the educational system, I don't know, but I doubt. Are you doubt, yeah. Okay, I doubt. So, so from when 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 uh, I was in Shell, you would uh, be tapping on the universities mm. for your internship program and Correct. stuff like that. Correct. How much you're going down into the uh, the next layer? Not sure. 
And this is where, again, I think companies like Petronas, you know, they're, they're very, you know, there was all this focus on vendor development and VDPs stuff like are, that. The VDP programs. Yeah. And actually coming back to the company, like you said, Dayang. Actually, Dayang would be better place because that's where their direct, direct resources will actually be because there, rather than Petronas handling the welders and the scaffolders, it's people like Dayang that helps, you know, develop this market. Because but you have to, you have to give visibility to it, right? You have correct. to show that the thing exists, that it's a good, it's a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, the other problem in Malaysia is our power distance issues. Oh, yeah. So, uh, the status. Yes. So, what are you? Ah, I'm a Rigor. arbitrator. Oh, very good. Yeah. yeah. You must be a great smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. What are you? Oh, I'm a rigger. Oh, yeah, you work offshore. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not like, yeah. you know, so, so this guy comes and says, John, your, your daughter comes, uh, daddy, uh, I want you to meet my fiance. Uh, he's a, a brain surgeon. Yeah. And studying. Oh, very good. Yeah. Your second That's daughter true. comes, John, uh, I want you to meet my fiance. Uh, he's an apprentice electrician. Not quite the same, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? exactly. You know, you don't look at it quite the same. Yeah. So, yeah. Somehow socially, that's got to change too. Yeah, fair point, fair point. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. I think, where can people find you? Do you want to be found? Do you want to be found place? first? Or not? <laughs> well, I, I'll say what I do. Yeah. So I do um, arbitration. Okay. Um, I do adjudication. which So arbitration means if you have a, there's a commercial problem between two companies, then they, they look for somebody to be the judge in okay. between. I do adjudication, but probably in the context of this discussion, uh, I also do claims management. Okay. Um, we have a website. Mm -hmm. So I can point you at that uh, Yeah, you website. give us the link. Was, we'll put yeah. it in the comment section. Yeah. 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 Uh, Probably on LinkedIn. Do you want to I be found? I am on LinkedIn. Yeah. yeah. LinkedIn. So you can look me up on LinkedIn. Too. Okay. Yeah. If you need something, happy to talk always. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm also a mediator. Uh, I don't do my, I would don't know as much family, mediation. Family mediation? No, I'm no. just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you have a problem in your family... I'm very sorry for you and I uh, wish you all the best, but uh, call John. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, so I would like to do more mediation. I think mediation um, should be bigger in Malaysia. It's not. Okay. Uh, so if you feel that you have a problem that you would like mediated rather than solved through a dispute resolution mm. format, I'd be happy to help that. Great, great. Um, MJ? Yeah, I think uh, I, I definitely enjoyed this a lot. I hope everyone listening did. No, I'm, I'm actually I'm very sure everyone listening did. Right? Yeah, I mean this is this is this in, insider information. This, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Please edit out anything that can get me sued. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if ever there was, it was it's too late into the into the podcast. You know, one hour <laughs> yeah, yeah. in, so no one watches. No one that watches part. that, that okay, part. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, I just realized one thing. Looking at this angle, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he looks also like a Tony Fernandez as well. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, 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 please. You're not the first one. Yeah. yeah. It's happened before. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm more handsome than Tony. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that's the problem. You don't say Tony Fernandez looks like me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. correct. Apologies. Yes. Apologies for that, yeah. yeah. But Kamerson, thank you so yeah. much for your time. And sorry if we have extended, you know, the, the, the time you've allocated for us. No, not at all. What time is it? Actually? 12. Yeah. Just nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Right. And um, you know, uh, to the listeners out there, if you like this kind of content, uh, please do share it out with your friends. Uh, click on the like, subscribe, so the YouTube algorithm can you know spread the word. And do remember to hit that notification bell so that the next videos when they are out, you'll be notified. All right. See you guys in the next episode. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Great fun. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> mm.